So we're going to continue our series on Philippians, and uh, we're going to talk this morning about, um, about being the church, and um, this is our third week, is it not, in the series of Philippians, the book of Philippians. It's four chapters, so if you've not read it, just like spend an hour and a half, two hours reading it. It's so easy um, to read that book. I've read it several times, um, as you can imagine, and uh, you can read it pretty easily. It's interesting, the letter that Paul writes to the church in Philippi. You can read some background on the church in Philippi in the book of Acts. Really interesting. And there's even some other places in Scripture where uh, it references what was happening in Philippi and, and Paul's ministry there. But this week, and I want to—I got my basketball up here. Actually, it's Chris Robart's basketball. I thank you for bringing that today um, up here because I wanted to tell a little story. Um, is Mike Sapienza here? Atta boy. Elbows McGee. That's right. Just make sure your pants are tied when you're playing against Mike. That's true. That's right. Wear a helmet. Wear some pads. Mike is a little aggressive under the boards. That's true. He loves the rebounds, man. He loves to, he loves to get the ball. We, we play in the wintertime. We play basketball together. And um, I've, I've been, had the pleasure of being on Mike's team and the displeasure of playing against him sometimes. And uh, he likes to be aggressive under the boards, and therefore he, gets the, he always comes down with the ball. But a problem that we realized when we were playing on Mike's team is that he does not discern if you're on his team or not when he's going for the rebound. That's true. So we had more than a few people who had same team injuries. Thank you, Mike Sapienza, for his passion for basketball. And uh, we actually love it. We love his aggression on the court, um, but everyone was staying clear of him, including his own players. And we got into the habit that when Mike was under the board and he was getting ready to get a rebound, I would just start screaming, same team, same team, because Mike would just take everyone out. Like it didn't, he would, he would like throw people on the ground. I mean, it was crazy. And today that's what we're going to talk about in the church. Um, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul is writing back to the church in Philippi, and he's talking about what is happening happening there. And if you've been in church for any period of time, you'll know there's always kind of conflict and um, difficulties in the church, you know. Um, people just with each other, I mean, not with the world, not with the mission that we're called to do, but with one another. And, um, and so I want to ask a couple of questions. They're actually on your engagement sheets, and I was hoping that you grab one this morning. I uh, hope you have a pen or pencil as well. But I'm going to ask you a couple of questions as we get into the Word today. And the first one is this. Um, who is it that you think is doing it, doing it wrong? And by doing it wrong, I mean doing church wrong, doing Christianity wrong, sharing the gospel wrong. Like, I don't know if you're like me, but you look around and, and some people who call themselves Christians, and you're like, that's not Christian. Or you see churches and you're like, that's not how the church should be, or whatever it is. And I, I want you to actually do this exercise. So if you could, just, and I know it might be a little embarrassing, you know, because you're sitting next to people and you might, it might be them. <laughs> that's doing it wrong. You might write their name down. Um, but, uh, but write down a name or two on your card about, you know, the people that you think are doing it wrong. Uh, sharing the gospel wrong, pre preaching wrong, singing wrong. What is it? And then the second question I want to ask you is this, and this is interesting to me, because if, 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 again, if you're in church for any period of time, not only do you find yourself, maybe you don't, being critical of others and how they worship, how they follow Jesus. But people will feel more than free to come up and tell you how you're doing things wrong. And so I don't know, who is it that tells you you're doing it wrong? And there's another question. It says that. It says, who 
thinks that you are doing it wrong. I'm going to ask you to write down a few names there. Who's come to you and said, man, that's not, that's not right. That's not how you do it. Uh, and, they, and they talk to you about that. Write down a name or two there. Maybe an institution or two. It doesn't have to be a person. Maybe it's a church. Maybe it's a church that you came out of. Maybe the, the church that you came out of is on both of those lists. Those that you think are doing it wrong and those who think you're doing it wrong. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a guy on TV. You're like, that dude's doing it wrong, right? I'll write down those names there because we're going to come back to that later on today in the service. We're going to ask, um, as we always do, that God would um, impart wisdom through his word. We believe that the Bible is living and active. We believe it's a spoken word of God. That is not a throwaway thing. Like, God inspired these words to be written. And we believe that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you and I have been given the gift to understand what this says. There's no excuse. God can teach you what this says. And so we're going to ask today that he would teach all of us exactly what he says in his word today. Please pray with me if you would. Father God, today we give you thanks and praise as we come into your house. We give you glory because you are worthy. You are so good. You are so beautiful. We love to sing your praises. Even as our song today said, broken hallelujahs. They're still hallelujahs and they're to you. We love you and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit's wisdom that you impart knowledge and direction and guidance to us through his activity in our lives, that you are always with us, if not just here on Sundays. And Father, I pray that all of our lives would be enlightened by you, that we would see truth and know the gospel more fully, understand it more relevantly to our own lives. But today and this time, we ask that you would impart wisdom to us. We're going to open your word, and we're going to expect you to do big things, just to change our hearts, change our minds, and show us how you'd have us to lead and to go. And so today, Father, we ask that you would be our leader, you'd be our master, and you would be our teacher. And we give you thanks and praise because you are worthy, and you are capable, and you are wonderful. We pray all this stuff in Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead and turn to uh, Philippians. Uh, chapter 1, verses 12 through 29, 26. Apologize for that. <clears throat> we're picking up where we left off last week. And I'm just going to start here. We're going to walk through some of the scripture together and, and see what Paul is talking to the church in Philippi about. Um, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, when Paul, we talked about this last week a little bit. When Paul says he's in chains, it means he's in prison. And he, he was in prison several times. I thought it was funny that when you look at the background of the book of uh, Philippians, they're not sure which time he was writing from jail because he was in jail more than once. I don't know how many times you've been to a church where the pastor's been in jail more than once, right? But Paul's one of those dudes. It's not a joke. He's really in chains. He's really still cared about the church, and he's trying to still spread the gospel. And he says, and I think it's striking, now I want you to know, because they're not sure, that what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. I think a lot of times we, we, um, we take this mindset as believers in Jesus that if it's easy, it's the gospel. That if it's going right, it's the gospel. That if the doors are open, it's the gospel. And we somehow equate, uh, I won't say success, but I'll say um, what we perceive to be, you know, God's favor as advancement of the gospel. 
But here Paul says something that would be counterintuitive to us. He says, these chains that I'm in have served to advance the gospel. My imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. And I think that this teaching comes directly against some of the thought that we might have in our lives. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've gone through hard things. Or maybe right now you're going through a really hard thing. And, you, and, you, and, you, and you're thinking, well, God, if, if you're there, you're going to get me out of this. But the question I have to ask you today is, is that hard thing you're going through actually serving to advance the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? Now you say, how in the world could a bad thing serve to advance the gospel? But you see, the gospel is more than the things are going good for us right now. The gospel is this proclamation to the world that despite the circumstances, despite all evidence to the contrary, God is good, he is loving, and he's redeeming me. And it's a spirit-infused passion that God gives us to not quit, to not stop believing, and to always proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. And Paul does this in chains. He says he's made the whole palace guard aware. He's in chains for Christ. It's part of his mission. I, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think God can only work in the good times of our life. I think we don't honor ourselves and we don't honor our God if we believe that's true. And Paul clearly says here that it's totally possible that God is advancing the gospel through our hardship. Maybe that doesn't make any sense to you. How, how in the world can, can hardship advance the gospel? For me, one of those people that I always say they're doing it wrong is people who can believe when things are going really well, but when things get bad, they just fall apart. That's one of those people who be on my list. They're doing it wrong. If your faith can't take you through a hard time of your life, if your faith can't, can't someone said to me recently, they said, um, you know, um, I'm so afraid that, that, that my faith is going to fall apart. And I was like, you know what, if you're that afraid your faith's going to fall apart, you better start hitting it with a hammer and seeing because it better be real faith. Because real faith doesn't fall apart when the hard times come. I mean, you, you ought to shake it a little bit. You ought, you ought not put it in the china cabinet and hope that no one plays basketball near it and breaks it. It's faith, and it's not yours. The Bible says it's a gift of God. He gave you his faith. And so genuine faith in Christ is not, is not it can be shaken, but it won't be destroyed when persecution comes. And so how, how in the world can a bad time advance the gospel, bring about faith in others, I'll tell you, people are, are watching. And I don't mean to say that like, okay, so put on a show and act like it's okay. Don't, man. Say, it's so tough right now. This sucks. It's not good. I wouldn't want it for anything. But God is still sovereign. You remember the book of Job? In, in Job, if you read the advice that his friends gave him, it sounds like good Christian advice. It sounds like good Christian advice, but the temptation for for Job and his own spouse said to him, just curse God and die. But Job won't. His faith endures the hardship, an unimaginable hardship. How can it be that when we read the book of Job, or when we hear Paul writing from the jail to the church in Philippi, that we aren't, we aren't discouraged but encouraged? We, we aren't like, oh, that's so sad that he's in jail. We're like, wow, look at Paul, he's in jail. Look at Job, he's on the ash heap of life, and he's not stopping believing because God is good. He needs to hear from the Lord. Paul believes that. And I think that when we do that in our lives, when we let our faith be our faith, and we're not afraid 
for times of trial and testing, and we just walk through it, that not only are we blessed, not only does God honor his faith in us, I mean, I don't mean his faith in us, but you know, his faith he placed in us, but those around us see and they go, how in the world can you still have faith? And that's a chance, and Paul takes it here to say, it's because this is the gift of God. This is about what God is doing in my life. Your hardship can strengthen the faith of someone else in your life. And you may never know that it happens. And, and again, I want to say, I'm not trying to say pretend that it's okay. Don't, don't do that. But be real. Be where you are. But, don't, but let God's faith be real. And, and if your faith comes and goes in times of trial, man, I'm telling you, get on your face. Like, pray. If, if, if you can't survive, if it's only God of the good times in your life, you better be praying to the holy God of the universe that you're saved, that you know him, his true self, who he is. God is no stranger to suffering. He's not, he's not afraid of it in your life. Paul says, I know that this has happened, listen to the word, to advance the gospel. It served to advance the gospel. 14, listen to what happens. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged. By the way, it's brothers and sisters, Adelphos, those who are believing, right? Most of the brothers and sisters in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. They proclaim Christ more passionately because of Paul's incarceration, right? So here you have a real direct manifestation. A, okay. Here you have a real direct result of Paul's imprisonment. That when you see someone else who's laying on the line, you know, as a matter of fact, and I'll go back to our brother Mike Sapienza, right? When he's down there throwing elbows in the paint to get the rebound, you're more serious about basketball when he comes out. Like, you, 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 you're more committed to the team. It's the same deal when Paul's in prison and he won't quit and he won't, you know, deny Jesus and he won't give up his faith. You're outside and you're going, what's my excuse? When there's countries and uh, there's people in other countries who can be put in jail for praying, you know, so one of the problems I have in our country is we say, we thank God we have the freedom to worship. There are people who don't have the freedom to worship but still worship. There are people who would be killed for believing yet still believe. And if you're not one of those people and you're like we are and you, and you go, then what's my excuse? What's my problem? If they keep doing it in spite of that, why am I not doing it when I have freedom? says the brothers proclaim the word more passionately because the apostle paul was in chains i don't know that we see the world that way i don't know that i would have that kind of a worldview As a matter of fact i'm amazed that paul had the awareness to think this is advancing the gospel because the brothers and sisters have become confident in the lord and dared to proclaim the gospel to the nations it emboldened the faith so we're going to continue to read here, but I want to say something. I love the Bible because the Bible says all the truth. I mean, it says the whole truth, right? And, um, and I told you already about one of the lies, which is, you know, if it's easy, it's the gospel, right? If it's going great, it's the gospel. It's not to say it's not the gospel, but it's not always the gospel when it's easy and going great. And here, Paul's going to tell us the truth about what, it, what preaching the gospel entails sometimes. Look at 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, 
supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So Paul says, here's the truth. Not everyone who preaches the gospel is going to preach from true motives. Not everyone who does. And the funny thing is, and I don't know how you are when you read the Bible, but I always put myself in the good guy role. You do that? If there's a good guy in the text, that's me. You know what I mean? And if there's the bad guy, that's them. You know what I'm saying? Bad guys. Good guy. You know? And if I'm not the good guy, I want to be on the good guy. So I'm like, God, help me be the good guy. You know, not the bad guys. Listen, Paul says people are going to preach the gospel for all kinds of reasons. And, and he gives us a couple of them right there. He says, um, some will preach out of envy and rivalry, right? I mean, jealousy and, and competition, rivalry. That's what he says. Later, he says, he kind of equates that when he says, if you look at it, um, out of self-interest. I'm not sure where it's at here. Yeah, let's see. Do us one love, 17. The former preach Christ out of self, uh, selfish ambition, not sincerely, or self-interest. So the people who are preaching out of envy and rivalry are really self-interested as they preach the gospel. They're about them. They're about what they can get or what they can do or who they can beat as they preach the word. I have to confess to you, it's really funny. One of the things that happens to me, I don't know if, how, I'm just going to tell you this. I don't know why, but I feel like I'm going to share it with you. Is that okay with you guys? I go to these conferences sometimes. You know, I, I dig it. I love preachers. Like I told you, Isaac preached and when Chris preached. And I just love it when the youth preached that Sunday and Gilliman preached, man. Cameron preached. I love it. I love preachers. And I get, and I, it's really funny, but I'm hanging out and I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Guys are preaching the word so awesome. But I get a really big conference. And there's dudes preaching, I'm always like, I could do that. If only they would say, section 235, seat 8, row A, please come down and preach. I'd be like, hey, that's me. I'll be right there. I'm bringing my Bible. I'm not saying that on air. I'm just saying there's something in me, right? I could do that. They're like, yeah, this guy's a big deal. I could do that. You know? How would I be preaching the gospel there? Out of pride? Rivalry, selfish ambition. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's funny, right? We always, no, 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 not me. I'm the pure, the good. Um, I preach it out of love. That's what the word says. I preach it out of love. I preach it purely. No, no strings attached to the gospel. That's what we strive to. But many won't. The word says that some will preach out of envy. Some will preach out of strife or conflict, or division, right? Some, and, and some will preach out of self-interest, not purely, but others will preach out of goodwill. Now that's interesting. Others will preach out of love. Others will pre preach purely. And Paul refers to himself here. He says, some are going to preach the gospel to make these chains of mine worse. They're, they're preaching in a way to say, see, Paul's in prison and I'm not, and that's why I can preach and he can't, and God has favor on me and not on Paul. And then others are preaching out of love, and, and they're not competing with Paul at all, and they, they, they love Paul, and they get what he's doing, and they're trying to preach the gospel. And you would expect, I don't know what you would expect, but I would expect that when Paul's laying out these kind of articulations of why the gospel's preached and how it's preached, that he's going to say, and the former are the, the, the bad guys, and the latter are the good guys. Right? The people who preach out of love are the good guys, and the people who preach out of strife or a selfish ambition, they're the bad guys, you know? Don't watch them. Don't go there. Don't hang out with them. Don't, don't believe that church. Don't do that. It's bad. 
But that's not what Paul says. Look at with me. 18. And this is crazy. It's in your Bible. But what does it matter? Paul says, so what? Who cares? Who cares? The important thing is that in every way, whether from motivations, false motivations or true, listen, Christ is preached. Who cares? Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And then look at the next verse. He says, and yes, I will rejoice. Paul says, I don't care what the motivation for preaching the gospel is. It's the gospel. It's being proclaimed. Paul's standing there at the top of the key, and he's yelling down, it's the same team. It's the same team. Who cares? Now, that doesn't always sit right with us. No, that's not right, Paul. Man, Paul says, now I want to say one thing here. It doesn't say that anything being preached is okay. He doesn't say that any preaching is fine. He says anything that preaches Christ is okay. Anyone that's proclaiming the truth that Jesus died for all of our sins is okay. Anyone who's saying that God is sovereign and that Jesus is his son and who gave his life for us is okay. It's the gospel. I want to say that because some of the preaching doesn't stand up to the gospel challenge. They're not preaching the gospel at all. But Paul's saying for those who are preaching the gospel, even if it's out of selfish ambition, even if it's out of competition or rivalry or strife or division, who cares? It's still the gospel. And for that, I rejoice. Man, for me, that's an act of God that I could have that position in Paul's heart. I'll tell you, though, I want to say this. One, one place I've seen this before, and I love it, is the world likes to make fun of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen any of this stuff where the world makes fun of Jesus, but there's a lot of stuff out there where they make fun of Jesus. And, and, and usually Christians are pretty, pretty good at taking the bait, you know, and getting riled up about it, and we protest things, and we swear, we boycott places, and you know what I mean? We just do, we like, we're not going to see that movie, or we're not going to watch that show, we're not going to, you know, use that network, or whatever it is, until they stop making fun of Jesus. <laughs> For me, I always think it's so funny because Christ is proclaimed. I'll never forget it. <coughs> Excuse me. I wasn't a believer at the time. I wasn't a believer at the time. But there was this website that had Dress Up Jesus. Did I tell you about this yet? I fucking might have told you this before. It had Dress Up Jesus, and it had a cross with Christ on it, as you've seen him before, with the loincloth, hanging, paying for the sins of the world. But then there were clothes off to the side, and you could dress up Jesus. And I was an atheist, and I thought it was funny. Right? And I showed my coworkers in IT, and they thought it was funny. And we were all dressing Jesus up on the cross. But you know, whenever I became a believer, I remember that. And I remember that under all of that mocking, all of that making fun of him, was the truth of a message that God sent his son to die for people like me. And no matter how much I tried to make fun of it, here was the gospel. Right underneath, Jesus, mocked and scorned, ridiculed. Why? For the love of his people. Sometimes we get so upset, and I say, yeah, but Christ is proclaimed. Let alone when a brother or sister is preaching the word, and we get upset. Hey, Christ is proclaimed. I want you to notice what Paul does here. When he says, 
Who cares? So what? There's a huge power shift. You see, because up to now in this letter, it could be easy that I'm the one that's offended, that I'm the one that's betrayed, that I'm the one that's not, you know, that people aren't honoring my preaching and my church and my understanding and my way and what I know about Jesus and who I think Jesus is. And in a moment, Paul says, who cares because Christ is preached and he takes all the power from this argument from us as humans and he places it where it belongs on the throne of Jesus. He has the power. He's the one who should be offended or not offended. He's the one. And there's this huge power shift to where all of a sudden we stop thinking about who's doing it wrong, but about who it is that we're talking about. Is Jesus. Christ is preached, Paul says. And because Christ is preached, I rejoice. And I love, he says, yes, and I will rejoice. Like he has to convince himself to rejoice about it. I will rejoice when Jesus is proclaimed. I will decide to, to celebrate what God is doing. I love that um, the, the word rejoice is the word uh, grace. Uh, it's, it's leaning towards something. It's, it's giving yourself into it. It's just, a, it's, it's kind of not even, it's not even tolerating it. It's, it's like kind of bending toward it. Like, yes, that's the gospel. Yes, that's the gospel. And sometimes that makes us very uncomfortable. But here Paul says, I do it. Look at verse 19. Because I know that through your prayers and the help that was given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, right, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. These things that are happening outside of Paul's world are not relevant to what's happening in Paul's world. I eagerly expect, listen, and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will always have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For, he's playing a whole different game. Paul's on a whole different level. And I don't mean he's a super saint. I mean, as the people in, in Philippi and the people like you and I who have a tendency to kind of divide things, Paul says, there's a bigger thing. I ain't worried about that guy preaching. I'm not even worried about living or dying. And he's going to talk about why, why he doesn't. For to me, to live is Christ, we're in 21, and to die is gain. To live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, what, that will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what will I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Now, isn't that interesting? I, I was struck by this because this is the exact opposite of the way the world thinks. This is the exact opposite. Paul says, it's better for me by far to leave you and be with Christ. But it's necessary that I stay here with you. So for him, the selfless act is to go on living and loving and serving and suffering. That's the act. That's his worship to God. He, 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 and he says, what should I do? I could easily give up. I could surrender. I could, I could wish to die. but it's not the most loving thing I can do. So much of our culture says, <clears throat> just escape. Just get away. Just get a break. Get some air. Have some fun. 
But sometimes the most selfless act we can do is stay and walk and love, even when it's ugly. I mean, you know, I talked to you about maybe hard times are happening. When hard times are happening, maybe the most loving thing you can do is just to be where you are and let people in. Just, just walk it out. Let your faith be a gift to others. The culture doesn't say that. It says escape, you know, get away. But Paul says, this is better. Here he says in 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow because of me. He says, I'm giving myself over to you. I'm giving myself to you again and again. To live is Christ and to die is gain. But he chooses selflessness and he chooses love. At the beginning of the message, I asked you to write down some names about those questions. Who it is you think is doing it wrong? And who is it that is saying that you're doing it wrong? And now... I'm going to ask the question, how could rightly seeing the gospel, how could seeing the gospel as a supreme message, Jesus as the supreme Lord, change that perception of what's happening there? And how could it be that the next time there's a jump ball, next time there's a play under the boards, and you look and you want to, you want to go for it, you want to dominate, you want to rule, you want to do that, you want to get that rebound? That you realize, wait, this is the same team. And that's not my shot. That's not mine. I think that's what we're called to be. To live in a space where the gospel is supreme. I think only rightly understanding the gospel of Jesus will change our hearts in that way. And today, I don't know if you know the gospel. And, and I'm just going to say it as plainly as I can. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is not about us at all. It's about God and his love. And it's the gospel, it's so unfair, it's ridiculous. It says that we were dead in our sins, that, that we had nothing to offer God, that we didn't come with a holy offering, that we weren't good enough, clean enough, right enough, pure enough, that we were, we were stinky and gross, we were, we were just filthy. And God in his mercy sent his son to reach out and to heal us, to give us hope and a future but then he died on a cross in our place. The, word act, the Bible actually says that Jesus became sin for us. He bore our sin to death. And in that way, we are free. We are free if we know him. We are on his team. And I don't know if you know that. I don't know if you're still carrying your burdens around today. I don't, I don't know. And I tell you, I've talked to a lot of people, man, and they go, if you knew the truth, man, you wouldn't think I was savable. I got news for you, the good news. You are savable in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want that today, I'm going to ask you to pray with me and receive it. It's not about us. It's his word. It's, it's, it's Jesus' message to the world. And if you struggle with resentment, competition, you know, not like good competition, but, you know, like that heartburn uh, you know, win at all costs, hate the enemy competition, man. I'd love to pray with you about that too. 
Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for the truth uh, that you revealed through it. We thank you for your, uh, the disciples who came before us who were just learning from you, uh, who were realizing that your, your, your whole message is different than we would have expected, that the work that you're doing is so far beyond our comprehension that our, our pettiness and our tri tri trivial matters, um, while not off your radar, Father, are not the point. Um, Father, today, for those here who believe that they have sin in their life, uh, and I, I, I believe there are people here today that think that, that there is a sin that's so bad that if you, they can't even admit to you or anyone else what that is. I want you to convince them today in their hearts, Father, because your glory, because of who you are, that you love them over and above that sin. That the good news of Jesus Christ supersedes all the enemies whispering about defeat, about being a loser, being lost. Father God, today I pray that a heart would turn to you, that you would reach in and save people, that, that those who don't know you would be touched like we've been and delivered and saved. And Father God, for a gospel that will not stop, for your church who continues to proclaim it, give us hearts to be graceful toward one another, to bend toward one another realize it's the same team. May you be glorified, Father, as we continue to worship you. May we be passionate, passionate for your gospel and not our own agendas. And we ask that you would do all these things through the transforming power of your Holy Spirit. May you be praised. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.